I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump in. Um, we're in the Gospel of Matthew. That's the first book um, there in your Bible um, of the New Testament. If you don't have one, feel free to reach underneath you and grab this little yellow-green Bible. Um, I think it's on page 3 where we'll be. We're in chapter 4. Um, so uh, we're going to be at chapter 4, verse 12. We're going to finish out chapter 4 today. So uh, go ahead and, and open up, and I'm going to pray, and then we'll, we'll jump into Matthew chapter 4. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for um, an opportunity for us to gather and study your word. We, we trust in its sufficiency this morning. We trust that it is enough to lead us into faith. It is enough to sanctify us. It is enough to correct us and train us in righteousness. Um, so, God, we pray that this morning, um, Spirit, you would come and dwell with us and that you would wash us in the water of the word, and that we would, if we're in Christ already, understand that we're in Christ, and that we've been declared holy, and therefore walk in that. And for those that may not know you, Jesus, this morning, I pray, God, that you would regenerate their heart this morning, that you would um, give them new life, and that they would put their faith in Christ this morning for the forgiveness of their sins, and receive eternal life with you. Lord, I, uh, I confess my absolute dependence upon you this morning and know that there is, there is nothing inside of me that can preach your word unless I have um, a filling of the Holy Spirit. And so I pray that this morning, Lord. I pray that you would um, give me every word that I need to say and the things that would not be helpful that I shouldn't say, that you would keep me from that. Fill us all now, fill this room, and Lord, let us, as we hear the text today, um, as we hear your word, be moved and changed and motivated to, to go and, and live for your glory. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, one of the things that we do here at Remedy is just kind of preach through books of the Bible. Um, we preach through a few, and we're about two years old, and now we're in the book of Matthew, so I don't know, for about the next couple of years, we'll be in Matthew, and um, we're in chapter 4. So let me, let me kind of catch you up to speed if you haven't been here. Matthew is written by Matthew, obviously, and um, it's, this is what's called the Gospel of Matthew, meaning that um, the first four books of the Bible are kind of the narrative, the story of the person and work of Jesus, and then when you get into Acts and the rest, you see um, the, the history of the church unfolding and really uh, doctrinally what that looks like for the rest of the letters after Acts. But, the, the, but in the Bible here in the Gospels, this is the story of Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection. Um, and the four Gospels are really written from four different perspectives. Um, and, the, and those writers, they wrote to certain people and they wrote certain ways. And Matthew has a certain way that he's writing. And, and those four writers, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, they wrote with a certain goal in mind. And Matthew has a certain goal. He is writing to a Jewish audience. He is writing to someone who has a great understanding of the Old Testament Scriptures. And he's wanting them, because they understand the Old Testament Scriptures, he's wanting to continually point them back to what they believe to be the scripture and help them see that this man that was prophesied, this coming Messiah, has now this, this person has been fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And so that's why in chapter 1, like automatically he rolls out with the genealogy because they knew these people in the Old Testament and they understand that um, if he's pointing them 
to the genealogy saying, you know, the son of the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then he finishes up with Jesus. They know that this man, Jesus, is the Messiah. Um, and so all along, as we've been going, the first couple of chapters, we see the, the stories about the coming king. And now we're in chapters three and four. And we see this man, Jesus, preparing for ministry. And then when we get to chapter five, um, really through seven, we're going to see a major section of Jesus's teaching. Um, so right now we're in that we're in that place where we're seeing Jesus getting prepared for ministry. We, we saw John the Baptist kind of kind of lay the groundwork, get ready for him to come. And now Christ is, has, has come. And last week. Um, Jesus began his ministry after he was baptized by John um, at the end of chapter 3. He began his ministry in chapter 4 by going out, fasting for 40 days, and then at the end of the 40 days being tempted three times by the devil. Um, and here we are in, in chapter um, 4, verse 11, going into first, verse 12. Um, most of the commentators that I read said that um, there should even be a chapter division here, but there's not. Um, and it, chapter divisions and... and and, and verses were added much later. It's not like Matthew wrote, you know, verse 12 now. So th- these are much, these are added. But more than likely, between verse 11 into verse 12 in chapter 4, there's a break when we see the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. And then we go into verse 12. Now, when he heard that John the Baptist had been arrested, there's probably a period of one to two years in there. Maybe not up to two, maybe one to one and a half. But there's a period of about a year there. Um, and we, we don't have, according to Matthew, in Matthew's gospel, everything that happened. But we do have it in others. And that's why I said these gospel writers um, wrote with their own, um, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, wrote with their own desires to show who, who Christ was. And so here, uh, Matthew kind of skips some things. Um, he skips which I'm going to show you in a minute what are, what are some things going on. Now, before we, we dive in, I, I also have desire to kind of um, bring something out just from my week to week as we, as we come here and study the Scriptures that I want us all to know and just kind of remind us all who've been coming here for a little bit. Um, from time to time, I'll, I'll have people ask or I'll have people kind of comment, hey, uh, whenever you preach, it's just the gospel every time. And, and what, isn't the gospel just something that, Christ, that non-Christians need to hear to get saved? And then when we move on from that, we really need just some practical kind of stuff to, to know how to do. Why is it that you want to put the gospel in every single sermon? Um, do I need that as a Christian? Let's get more practical and help me get through my life. My marriage is falling apart. My, you know, I can't, can't do well in my job, blah, blah, blah. Um, not blah, 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 but things are going on. Sorry about that. Not to minimize your, your problems. That was... That was brutal. Um, anyway, so what is it, why is it that you want to preach the gospel over and over to Christians? Um, and Jerry Bridges basically says it this way. He's a writer. He says, uh, why is it that I want to teach you as Christians to preach the gospel to yourself? In other words, why is it that I want to teach you to preach to yourself? You're holy, completely holy in Christ. You need to always remember when you wake up in the morning and don't want to do your study or you just had a conversation with your child or your wife or your coworker. Why is it that I want you to remember I'm holy? Like God has declared me holy in Christ. There's no condemnation. The reason why is because we're all law keepers and we'll fall over into pharisaical law keeping every moment. And so if we remember that we are already declared righteous, that our righteousness isn't in law-keeping or a certain keeping a set of rules, but we're already declared righteous. That kind of changes life. Um, in other words, this is what I mean. Um, if all I do is preach law, if all I do here is just tell you, don't do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that, be holy, come on, be holy, but I don't 
over that tell you the gospel, which is you already are holy. Therefore, walk in that. It just becomes debilitating. I mean, the Christian life is is something that you see as impossible and becomes difficult and something you don't want to try anymore because it's too hard. But if I put over you, Jesus puts over you through me, um, the gospel, you are holy. Therefore, let us hold true to what we've already attained, Philippians 3.16. Then you remember that you have the power of the Holy Spirit in you and you can walk in that and you can have conversations that are holy with your wife. You can have conversations with your husband that are holy. You can treat your coworker the way that Jesus would want you to. You can. So that's the reason why I want to all the time teach you to preach the gospel to yourself so that Monday through Saturday you can remember that you're holy and you can walk in that. <clears throat> all right, so here we are. Um, and you're going to see in 12 through 17 one little section and then 18 through 22 one little section and 23 through 25 one little section. So it's kind of broken out for us really nice. And that's really the three sections we're going to look at today. Um, and if I'm going to... If I'm going to break it out into kind of a, if I'm going to take all these three, because there is one point, I think, in these three sections. Um, and it's this, that Jesus, Jesus is, in, in these three te- sections, we're going to see Jesus is calling us. Well, he's calling these men to be his followers. And in turn, he's calling us. Jesus is calling us to be his followers so that we can proclaim the gospel to others. He's calling us to be his followers so that we can go proclaim his gospel to others. He's calling us to be disciples so we can make disciples. Um, he has a mission, which is going to be given to us in verses 12 through 17. And then he needs people. We're going to see that in 18 through 22. And we're going to see in 20 through 25 his message. And that's kind of the three headings as we're going to go through. There's a mission. And that we need people. And here's the message. So... Uh, verses, I'm sorry, verses 12. Remember, there's kind of a year or so between this. Let's look at verse 12. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And having and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Nephtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtali, the way of the sea, Beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness, and and actually in Isaiah it says deep darkness, have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Great news right there. Verse 17. From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That should ring a bell. Verses, uh, chapter 3, verse 2, John the Baptist said the same thing. Jesus is picking up the same thing that Elijah, John the Baptist, picked up, um, which he got it from Jesus. All right, verse 18, And walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. And this is John, the gospel writer. Um, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction from among the people. 
So his fame spread throughout Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those who afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and from the Decapolis. Decapolis just means ten cities. Um, And from Jerusalem and Judea and beyond the Jordan. All right, so just to kind of give you an idea of what this looks like and what the map is, you know, um, we have... We have in the ancient land kind of uh, Israel to the north and Judea to the south and in the mi- middle of Samaria. Well, up into the north, above Samaria, is a region called Galilee made up of many cities. Um, we know that he was born down in the southern region and that he grew up in Nazareth. Nazareth is in the north inside of Galilee. Um, and that's kind of where he grew up from uh, pretty much his whole life. He was, he was, besides his birth, he was up in Nazareth and that's where he grew up. So he's in Galilee. And here we see that... Um, He is going to move what would be his hometown or his home base for ministry from Galilee to Capernaum. All that's in all from Nazareth to Capernaum, and all that's in Galilee up to the north. And so we see Jesus starting most of his ministry in this area called Galilee to the north. But we see something very interesting that um, they call this in verse fifteen. This is Galilee of the Gentiles. Galilee of the Gentiles. That's going to be key, and we're going to get to that in a second. But before we do that, in verse 12, we see now that he had heard um, that John had been arrested. What I want to do is let you hear um, what are some of the things that have already happened before that. Um, If we look into the Gospel of John, which we will soon, there's some things that have already happened before he goes and starts his ministry because he's heard John the Baptist has been arrested and kind of starts in Galilee. Um, According to John, these things had already happened. He had already met and called some of the first disciples. I know you're thinking, wait a second, didn't he just do that? We're going to get to that. Um, he also turned water into wine at Cana. That's in John 2. He also drove the money changers out of the temple. He also talked to Nicodemus at night, and he did his famous John 3.16 verse. Um, and he also spoke to the Samaritan woman about worship, and that was in Samaria. Um, so he actually had gone down to Jerusalem, done some ministry, come back up through, through Samaria where he spoke to the woman um, at, at the well and then came back up to Galilee. And now we're picking up with Matthew here. And John tells us all that. Um, and he retreats back up to Galilee because he heard John had been arrested. Um, and not that Jesus was necessarily in danger of being arrested, but they had pretty much the same message. And they knew John. They didn't quite know Jesus yet. And so he wanted to go back up to the north because it wasn't his time yet. It wasn't that Jesus was um, not going to ever get arrested. He was, but it wasn't time. And he understood that it wasn't time. He had, a, he had a task to fulfill, and he wanted to stay within his Father's will. And this was prophesied here by Isaiah. Now, this is, I think, the third time now that Matthew has quoted Isaiah to these people that are Jewish, constantly putting in front of them, this man named Jesus is the Messiah. He wants to constantly put that in front of them. And so that's why he, he quotes Isaiah here. And this is Isaiah chapter 9, um, verse 1 and 2. And he says... <clears throat> Um, in the land of Zebulun and Nephtali, this is that basically historically the region of Galilee, the place that he's in. He's going and he's in the land of Zebulun and Nephtali, the way of, of the sea beyond the Jordan, which is the Galilee of the Gentiles. There's people dwelling there in deep darkness and they have seen a great light. These pagans, there's a mixture of Jews and Gentiles in this land. And now they have seen a great light. These people who did not know the gospel are now going to hear the gospel. These people who did not know the way to, to be saved are going to see Jesus, see the great light, and have understanding as he proclaims the gospel to them how they can be saved. 
they have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region in the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Um, this is just a really awesome poetic way of letting us know that that um, Jesus has now come and he is beginning his ministry and he is bringing salvation to them. A light has indeed dawned on the Gentiles because Jesus has come to save them. And then um, after that, so the first point that I want us to see here in verses 12 through 17 is this, um, that Jesus has a mission. Jesus has a mission. And that mission is, as we see in verses 12 through 16, there are people that are in deep darkness. There are people that are in deep darkness. Now, I know that this is talking about the region of Galilee 2,000 years ago, but clearly it has implications for where we are now. Clearly it does. There are people here, next to you, maybe in this room. There are people in your neighborhood. There are people everywhere that are in deep darkness. And there is in front of us, there is in front of us a mission that we would take this light, this great light, into the deep darkness. There's three necessities in, in ministry that, that he's telling us. And the first one is that there is a mission and we need to understand the mission. This is answering the question, why? Why is there a mission? Because there are people in deep darkness. You know, it, it took me a while. Um, it took me a while to get the, uh, the depth of understanding that. It took me a while to develop within me um, an understanding that there's people around me that don't know Christ. You know, for some of us, like as soon as as soon as we uh, as soon as we get converted, our heart for other people automatically explodes, and we think there's other people <laughs> that were walking in darkness like me. I need to I need to tell them. But for some people, like if you're like me, I got saved really young, and um, I didn't understand. I guess the depths of it all. That I was so young, I didn't I didn't fully have it. But God in His grace has let me understand the depths of it. And the way that He's let me understand it is by understanding more and more my own sinfulness. The more I understand my own sinfulness in light of His holiness and I understand how different I am and I look around and I see, you know what? Um, I can get mad at this person, but I'm no different than them. God's just saved me. Um, I, can, I can say, I can't believe they do these sins or whatever, but I'm no different and I start seeing within me, and it was really, um, I'd say about 10 years ago, God started opening my eyes. I started praying this prayer. Lord, help me have eyes to see them the way that you see them. That there are people walking in deep darkness. I mean, just, it's amazing as you interact with people, um, especially when you're in ministry, where people come tell you their stories, and you just are kind of taken back. I can't, I can't even imagine the depths of the darkness that they're walking in. I can't even, because God's been so good to me, kept me from sin like this. But there are people around us that are in deep darkness. There is a great, great need. And so the first thing that I want us to see is that He has a mission. He has a mission. Now, l- let me tell you what um, some other ways that we can... We can hear this mission. Um, there's a place in Matthew where he's having a conversation with Matthew and he's calling him to be his disciple. And this is how he kind of explains the mission here. In, in Matthew 9, he says this, um, Those who are, are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. 
Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. He has a mission to call sinners to him. There's another place in Luke 19.10 where he's having a conversation with Zacchaeus, the wee little man that was up in the tree. And he said, um, I have come not to... Well, I'm going to butcher it. I'm going to say it because I thought I had it memorized. Luke 19.10. He's having a conversation with Zacchaeus and this is what he tells him. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So he has a mission, which is, there are people who are lost. There are people who don't know Christ. I have come to seek them and save them. So this is the mission that he has. This is the first necessity in ministry, is that we understand that Jesus has a mission and that um, we don't have our own mission that we want to try to do. Yet he has a mission that we need to join in and understand, which is seeking and saving the lost, which is finding the people that are in deep darkness and holding out to them the great light. All right, so... Verse 17 is kind of a a huge statement here. Um, Verse 17 says this, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. If you have, I'm sure some of you do, your little ESV, or your big ESV study Bibles in front of you, um, the little commentary says this. It says, um, This verse right here marks a significant turning point in Matthew's narrative, indicating that the preparations for Jesus' messianic ministry are complete. So the actual... um, preparing now for ministry is complete and now it's time for him to go and start this message which he's just picking up of John the Baptist. From that time Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Remember um, verse 17, we're going to come back to it when we get to the message. Um, But he is picking up the words of John the Baptist which we saw over in chapter 3 verse 2 and we're studying. So the first thing is, the first necessity is that there is a mission and we need to know what it is, which is to seek and save the lost. Now we go into verse 18 and we see that he's walking by the Sea of Galilee and he saw two brothers, um, which is Simon, Peter, and Andrew. And then he also sees another set of two brothers, which is James and John. Um, and this is the account where he he calls these disciples to him to start following. Now, um, it would be a mistake for us to take a descriptive text, which means he is describing the events that happened when he called these two sets of brothers and make them prescriptive to say that that's how Jesus is going to call every single person. This is a descriptive text, not prescriptive. But as we understand that this is prescriptive, um, there are principles that are here which could be true for everyone in this room and definitely probably are true for some, definitely probably, that are true for some. Um, In other words, he is calling people to be disciples, He is calling people to be disciples, but maybe not in the exact same way that he calls these people. But I'm not going to let us get off that easy. Um, But let's go ahead and look over at John chapter 1 so we can see um, what I mean when I say this isn't the first time that he's called these particular people. John chapter 1, look at verse 35. Um, It says this, John 1, 35. It's just about uh, three books to the right. It says this, The next day... John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked, this is John the Baptist, and he looked um, at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they, t- and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said, um, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, um, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. 
One of the two who heard John speaking was following... I'm sorry. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And so we, we know which... There was two people who followed. We know one was Andrew and this other guy's the unnamed guy. More than likely, it's John who, who is writing this. And he, he keeps himself anonymous as he writes his letter. So more than likely, it's John. Um, we don't hear anything about James here, but so far we've got John and we've got Andrew. We're just waiting for Peter. Well, let's look. Um, and verse 41, he first found his own brother Simon, that's Peter, and he said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, so you are Simon, the son of John, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter, rock. And so that is the narrative of Colin. Now, that's not the same, the same narrative that we saw in Matthew 4. And so um, what Virtually all commentators, and it just seems it's lining up because we know that um, verse 11 and verse 12, there's about a year of, of difference between verse 11 and 12. So probably in that year, this interaction in John 1 happened. So this is really a second calling of these apostles. Now, that does not minimize the first calling. It wasn't like Jesus called them and all of a sudden they just kind of fell off and things didn't go their way. This... it. Instead, um, the first calling was awesome and they followed. The second calling is even a further deeper calling now. A further deeper calling. Um, now, here's the second thing that I want you to see. Here's the second thing. Uh, the second necessity in ministry. The first one is mission. The second was people. And we see that right there in verse 19 where he said, um, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men. Jesus has a mission, but he needs people to come and be fishers of men. He needs people to come and start going out and holding out Christ to the people. And this is just the way he's, he's ordained it. This is just the way he's planned it, is that the way people are going to get saved is that he's going to call disciples, and these disciples are going to go call more people. I mean, he could just descend from the sky every 20 years and just kind of blast it all around the earth when on big speaker, everybody follow me, and then go back up in another 20 years for the next generation, do it again. He could do that forever, but that's not the way he's designed it. Instead, he's designed it this way, which is he is going to... Proclaim the somebody's going to proclaim the gospel to you at some time, and then you are going to go proclaim the gospel to someone else. So Jesus is calling people to come and be fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men. So this is answering the who. This question is answering the who. Now, why? The first question I have that, that popped up is, why did Matthew just skip all that other stuff? That's what I'm wondering. Why, why not tell us everything John told us? Um, well, this is why. And I kind of hinted at the beginning. Um, a guy named Calvin, 500 years ago, he wrote this. Um, the gospel writers disregard the order of time and sat satisfy themselves with presenting in a summary manner the leading transactions of the life of Christ. Meaning, the Holy Spirit has wired them to give us the way that Jesus' life unfolded in the way that God wants to unfold it in their book. And why? They're not trying to do things chron chronologically. We just kind of kind of remove our 21st century minds of always needing everything chronological and put ourselves into the first century and realize that that's the way they wanted to write. And it, and it does not in any way diminish um, inerrancy or 
sufficiency or any of these kinds of things. So who are the people? I want to unpack the, the four guys and then we're going to start looking at, at what are some, some implications for us. The four people are Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Simon, Peter are brothers. Simon is pretty much, as we go through the Gospels, we see that he's the leader. He's the most outspoken. He seems to be the most vocal. Jesus called him Satan at one time. Um, he denied knowing Jesus. And then later he repented and he got to preach the sermon in Acts 2 where the Holy Spirit came down. So um, he had some ups and downs for sure. Maybe that sounds like you. Man, it sounds like me. Um, except for, well, anyway. Um, Andrew, he was Simon's brother. Now, what we don't know much about Andrew, there's not a whole lot of text about him, but one awesome thing is that a lot, all the commentaries I read pointed something about Andrew. This is it. Andrew was always seen bringing people to Jesus. If there's just anything I want to be known about, like I don't, no one's going to really know who I am in, in the end. I'm not even going to be remembered like Andrew, but if just my kids know one thing, and it says, he was always just bringing people to Jesus. That's enough for me. Anyway, um, James. James was John's brother. And this is just amazing that the sovereignty of God has such a difference between James and John. I mean, just such a difference between these two. James was converted much later. It, it's No, I'm sorry, not James. I'm thinking of another James. Anyway, it's just James. This is John's brother. He was the first of the 12 disciples to be martyred. He was the first of the 12 disciples to be martyred. Um, In Acts 12, we see it where Herod killed him with a sword. But um, his own brother, John, this is the apostle that Jesus loved. He lived longer than any other disciple. James was the first one to go. They were brothers. John was the only one that lived to to, to the end. He was the only one not to be martyred. Now, he was boiled in oil and exiled to the Isle of Patmos, so it wasn't necessarily the best life ever. But, um, but it was John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. At one point, it tells us in, in his gospel that he, he literally laid his head on the chest of Jesus. Pretty amazing. But they had such a different life. First one killed, the one that wasn't. Um, and these are the four. Um, and as we're going through this text, I, if, if some of y'all are, are reading with us... Um, in the, book of, in the book Radical by David Platt, he explains the passage in this way. When he's, he's unpacking these guys, he said that Jesus was calling them to abandon their comforts. He's telling them that they need to have um, what we're going to. There's nothing going to be familiar. I'm calling you to abandon all your comforts to something that's not going to be familiar. He's telling them to abandon their careers. Um, you're, you're making money right now fishing, and Jesus is calling you to come do his work now. He's calling them to abandon their possessions. Drop your nets. Drop your trades. Come follow me. He's, he's, he's telling them to abandon their family and their friends. Leave your dad. Come with me and follow me. And he's also telling them basically to abandon themselves. Trade safety for danger. Trade certainty for uncertainty. Could this be the implication for you and me today? Is that what he's calling you towards right now? Maybe. Maybe. Maybe not, but maybe. But someone might say, well, that's the disciples. I mean, that's Jesus calling the disciples. He calls them to a higher level of of sacrifice. All right, let's look at Luke 9. Let's look at Luke 9. These are just men walking by. Um... These aren't the, the, the 12 disciples. Luke 9, it says, As they were going along the road, someone said to him, We don't know who it is, but it's probably not the 12 disciples. Someone said to him, um, I'll follow you wherever you go. And he said, Foxes have holes, birds of the, nest have air, I'm sorry, birds of the air have nests, <laughs> but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He's telling this guy to be homeless. I'm homeless. I'm Jesus. I'm homeless. Maybe he's calling you towards that. This isn't even a 12 disciple. 
Um, in verse 59, to the other, he said, follow me. The only one where Jesus actually calls him, that God doesn't volunteer himself up. But he said, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom. Come now. And then the next one. Um, yet another said, I'll follow you, Lord. But first, let me say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said, now, one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back for the king... And, and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. This guy wanted to go wait for his family to die, basically. And he's saying, if you're going to put your hand to the plow, if you're going to start the work, you don't look back. You come now. These, these are just regular followers. I mean, it even gets more challenging in Luke 14, um, verse 25. We see in verse t- 14, 25, he said, Now there are great crowds accompanying him. And he turned aside and said, if anyone, does, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and his wife and his children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Reject your family and, and declare death upon yourself. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first consider? Let's skip over to 33. Look what he says in 33. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. For anyone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So, what are are we saying here whenever he's... Jesus is calling these disciples and he's telling them to come follow me. And we see immediate response. Verse 20, immediately. Verse 22, immediately. They drop their nets and they follow him. I think that what we can say at best is this. This is a descriptive text, not a prescriptive text. All right? This is Jesus, I mean, Matthew describing the way that he called these disciples. This isn't necessarily prescribing the way he's calling us. But let's just at least say this. There is for sure, for sure, some level of sacrifice that a, sacrifice that a follower of Christ must give. There is absolutely some level of sacrifice that you must give. Are you doing that? I don't know. At least, this text is calling us to do this. At least we can give an honest self-assessment of ourselves and see if there are places and see if there are things that are alive that we treasure more than Jesus. At least he's calling us to do that. And the only question I have is this. Why would you not at least want to consider to be called the way he called the disciples? Why would you not at least want to consider that he might be calling you to that kind of deep level of sacrifice to be his follower? The first necessity is mission. The second necessity is people. And we know that there are unreached people groups all over. There are about 6,000 unreached people groups right now, and pretty much all in the 1040 window. And the only way that they're going to be converted is if we go. And so, he's probably not calling all of us. Some are senders, but he might be calling you for some of you to go. So, I think the one thing that we can get is that he's calling to some of us a level of sacrifice that we can have an honest self-assessment for ourselves and see if he's calling us. And I know that it's not going to look the same for everybody. I understand that. He, and, and, and let me just say this too. All right, let me, this is really key because when you hear these kinds of statements, all of a sudden you feel like if you don't go to the 1040 window that you're like the scum of the earth Christian and God doesn't love you and all those guys that go are like the top level and you're just kind of the stink one. Um, that's not true. I mean, that's just not true. All right? So don't beat yourself up if you're not going to the 1040 window, but be on mission here. 
Be on mission here. Be a sender. Be someone who funds. Be someone who is um, willing to sacrifice deep levels here. Maybe he is calling you to do some, some crazy things here. Um, jo- uh, Charles Spurgeon, he was commenting on the way that Jesus calls his disciples. And I just want to read this to you. And, and let's just, as we read this, consider what that might mean for us. This is what he says. Talking about the disciples being called. He says, they come straightway. They come at all cost. They come without a question. They come to quit old haunts, the sins. And they come to follow their leader without stipulation or reserve. And so God's calling you this way. He's calling you straightway to come at all costs, to come without question, to come to quit old haunts or old sins, and to come and follow your leader Jesus without stipulation or reserve. And what that looks like specifically for you, I don't know. I'm just saying, do the honest self-assessment and ask, God, what is it? Is there places I need to really hand over? Am I trusting you fully in this area? Um, because we see here that the immediate response was that they would go. Um, they relinquished, these disciples here who were fishermen, they relinquished the commitment to the family business and their livelihood to go and join Jesus' messianic mission. So that's the second thing. So the, the, the three necessities, the first one's a mission, the, the next one is people, which God needs, and the third one is the message. We've got to have the message. Just because um, we know there's a mission to seek and save the lost, and so we know we need people, but when we go, we need to know what to say. We need to know what we're to do. We need to know how it's going to look. We need to know what. This is answering the question of the what. This is three, the message. This is proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. We see that in verse 23. Um, he went throughout all the synagogues. I'm sorry, went, went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues. And here it is, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. So this is the what. This is the what we're going to say. If you see over in verse 17, you can see a little piece of it there. It says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he's proclaiming the gospel. And the gospel is that they need to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mark 1, and remember, all these gospels kind of mirror each other. Mark um, summarizes all that together, these, these statements in one, chapter 1, verse 15. And he says this, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's our message. Our message is the kingdom of God is at hand and repent and believe in the gospel. All right. So there's a couple of things I want you to see here as he's doing that. In verse 23, um, we see Jesus being totally obedient to the Father to begin his ministry. He's going to be a light to the people who are in deep darkness. And in 23, he goes into the synagogues and he proclaims the gospel of the kingdom. And as he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, he's also healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Um, There's two things happening here as he's doing this. One is eternal and one is temporal. One is eternal and one is temporal. The, The eternal one is that he's proclaiming the gospel. He's telling them that they need to put their faith in Christ in order to be saved eternally. The other one is temporal. He's healing people. He's given them a temporary healing right now for their life that they get. And neither one are being minimized. Both are part of it. Um, Clearly, um, of course, eternity is longer than the time we have here on earth. So meeting people's needs, which is which is the most important, which is telling them their need for Christ, is the most important thing we can do. We have to tell people the gospel in order for them to be saved. But 
At the same time, we see here Christ meeting physical needs. He doesn't say to them, well, this life is short. You know, it's only 60 or 7 years compared to all of eternity. So just kind of push through this pain, push through your epilepsy. Um, I'm just going to tell you about how to be saved and uh, how to go to heaven and everything else um, about how to forgive your sin. But just, just live your life now for the next whatever and everything's going to be okay, especially in the age to come. He doesn't do that. He heals them as well. He tells them of their greatest need, which is Christ, and he meets their physical needs. And so this is, for us, for us, um, an idea or a, or a way that we should be approaching ministry. We always, we always are looking for ways to, to heal, bring our, we're not Jesus, we're not going to, you know, just have the power of healing um, like he did. So, um, but we can find ways to meet physical needs like he did. We can find ways to meet physical needs. And while we're doing that, knowing that that's not the end, that while we're doing that, we always have to, with words, proclaim the gospel to them. Tell them the gospel of the kingdom, to repent for the kingdom is at hand, to repent and believe the gospel, as Mark says it. So that's the third thing, is the message. Now, um, this is probably one of the most important things. We need to believe in the power of the gospel to convert sinners. We need to believe in the power of our message. This is how Romans 1.16 says it. Romans 1 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We need to understand that when we speak the words of the gospel, there is the Holy Spirit coming behind it, power behind those words. Any other spoken words that's not the gospel, like if I give you a recipe on how to make chicken noodle soup, there's no power behind that. That's just words. You know what I mean? But if we tell people the gospel, whenever we proclaim to them out of our mouth into the ears of a person and it connects down into their soul, the Holy Spirit comes behind that message and it's just supernatural power we don't see that drives that message down deep into the heart. That message is so powerful that it is going to break down and soften the heart of the greatest sinners here. It's going to bring them to tears over their sin and convict them and help them see that Christ is the only way and it won't happen unless we speak it there is power behind it and we just need to trust because sometimes we, we tell the gospel to people and we're just like i don't know you know i can tell them that jesus came and died for them on the cross and it doesn't seem like anything happens but the gospel or the bible continually tells us that this message has power power to break down walls power to take the heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh and we just need to trust this message that he's given us, that there is power behind it. The three necessities are the mission, the people, and the message. And our message, that Jesus came and died for us, to forgive us for our sins, has power. Don't ever doubt it. Don't ever doubt the power in this message. All right. Notice what happens after this. Verse 24. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought, him, they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons and epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. So this is pretty awesome. Um, as people were being taught and as people were being healed, his fame spread, and as his fame spread, that was the thing that brought more people. That's pretty amazing. As his fame spread... That was the thing that brought more people here. And clearly, as we lift up his name, 
as we desire to make his fame known, as we try to spread his fame throughout this area, then the same thing will happen. We lift up high the name of Jesus and spread his fame. More people will come to him. That's pretty awesome. That is pretty awesome. And then we see in verse 25, and great crowds followed him. Great crowds followed him from Galilee and from the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Great crowds followed him. Now, there's no doubt that some of them, more than likely, when we see these great crowds, and we're going to see this later on, that some of these great crowds were in there for the show. They liked to watch the show. But there were true converts. There were true converts. What happens if we do this? What happens if we believe that there's three necessities in ministry? That if we, if we believe the mission that God has come to seek and save the lost, if we find, if we become one of the people who wants to make disciples and we go out and we try to make more disciples and we proclaim this message. John Piper was kind of explaining um, living a life like this and he has a quote. I think this is amazing. He says, if you live gladly to make others glad in God, your life will be hard. Your risks will be high. And your joy will be full. Your joy will be full. Life is not going to be easy necessarily. It may be, but it's not necessarily. Risks might be high, but he, he is worth it if he has come and risked his own life for us. Then risking our life, we're not, we're not promised a life of ease. Maybe we will get that. John got to live forever. James was the first martyr. I don't know where we'll live. I, more than likely, all of us will live to a deep old age. But our joy will be full. So as we look at this, to kind of wrap up here, I just want to know where you are. Where are you inside of these, these three necessities of ministry? Where, where are you falling? Maybe um, you've experienced a call from Christ. Maybe you've experienced a call from Christ to come and know Him. And you know that, in essence, you are a follower. And in some way, you've kind of fallen over to just kind of getting it done. You're not following wholeheartedly. You know that you definitely love Jesus. You're definitely serious about Jesus. But there's avenues and there's places in your life that you haven't given over fully. And you feel the Holy Spirit identifying those places right now. And he's saying, I want your whole life. I gave you my whole life on the cross. Give me your whole life. And he's worth it. He's absolutely worth it. Perhaps, um, perhaps this is what's going on. One thing that's clear in this text is that our message is repent. That's our message as we go. We're, we're not wanting to kind of soft pedal and make people like us. We, we, we want people to see that we're winsome. We want people to, to hear the message in a way that they want to hear it. We don't want to just be belligerent to them. We want to be Christ-like and loving. But the message of repentance can be difficult. It can be hard to hear. But we know that there's avenues of our life that we haven't given over. And so maybe um, before we go call people to repent, we have places that we need to repent first. In order to call people to follow Christ fully, we need to follow Christ fully ourselves. Will you do it perfectly? No. Does that make you a hypocrite? No. 
So maybe there's places in your life right now that you're holding on so tightly that you're being disobedient to and you know that He's calling you to repent. It doesn't mean that you need to be perfect in order to go make disciples. You, you never will be. You never will be. If that were the case, none of us would ever tell the gospel to anybody because we'll never be perfect until we're in heaven. Maybe for the first time, the light has dawned on you. You don't know Christ, but all of a sudden, you've seen that you've been walking in deep darkness and this great light has shined down into your heart this morning. And all of a sudden, you're seeing, I have been walking without Christ my entire life. I may have known Him or I know I didn't know Him, but this truth, this gospel, this, this unbelievable message that a man came and died for my sin. I, I feel the guilt all the time. I know that I'm a sinner, but this good news, this gospel, that Jesus came and bore all the penalty, all the wrath for me on the cross, it's hitting you right now. And you're realizing that you can't comprehend this good news, but for the first time you're hearing it, and you feel a call now to come and repent of sin. You feel a call right now to call out to Jesus for forgiveness. And I would just say, today is the day for salvation. Today is the day for you to become a Christian. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting here. This is Jesus. This is Jesus um, being described in the way he begins his ministry. He's got a mission to seek and save the lost. He's got people that he's calling the disciples, and we'll see more. And then he's got a message, which is to repent, which is to believe in the gospel. And it's the same thing today. Today, there is a mission. It's the same as Jesus, to seek and save the lost. Today, there are people, and it's the church, and we are called to go make disciples. And there is a message, and it's that a man named Jesus, who was God and man, died for us. And we're going to proclaim that to people. We're going to hold out the gospel, the good news, that if you put your faith in Jesus, you are holy. There is no law keeping. He kept it perfectly for us. So where are you? Do you know the mission? Do you know that there's people that are lost that don't know Him? Are you moved with compassion for people that don't know Him? Do you find yourself sometimes just overcome with despair that your brother or your sister or your father or your mother or your neighbor will spend an eternity feeling the wrath of God? Does that scare you for them? Does that move your heart with compassion for them? Do you want to be a fisher of men? Do you want to be one of the people that's making disciples? Jesus contextualized the call to them. They were fishermen, and he said, come be fishers of men. You know, so he's contextualizing the call today, wherever you are. Like, what did it, whatever makes you understand it, he wants you to come and call people towards him. Do you proclaim the message? Are you, are you proclaiming the gospel and meeting people's needs, never neglecting either one? That is our message. And it's interesting, as we see this, that he's teaching and he's healing. And then in the next section, in chapters 5 through 7, there's teaching. And then in chapters 8 through 9, there's healing. Matthew's just going to unpack the way those two things look in the next five, or five chapters. So we 
have a, an eternal message that we want to hold out to people and a temporal, heartfelt message that we want to give and meet people's physical needs, always proclaiming the gospel, always with words, telling them the reason why I am doing this is because Jesus has done something in my heart. Not, oh, I'm just a good person. I just feel bad for people like that. Jesus, I wouldn't be here. I would not do this if it weren't for Jesus. And so as he's tugging at your heart today, maybe, I just want to ask that you would be obedient to fulfilling the mission to be one of the disciple makers and be one of the people carrying out the message. And we're going to go into our time of response. And Tim's kind of explained the way we do it here, which is um, hopefully... God and the, whole, the Holy Spirit has come and taught us and convicted us and comforted us and shown Him Himself and held out Christ to us and let us know that we're holy in Christ. Let us understand there's no condemnation and therefore we want to walk in that holiness. We want, to, we want to live in holiness because we are declared holy. We want to see disciples be made. And however He has wired you and telling you to respond, we want you to respond that way. Maybe you need to sit and pray. Maybe you just need to sit and repent. You just need to think there are places. And I just, God, I want to confess those things. And I want to admit that there are places in my life that I need to give over. Or maybe just the gospel has just fallen fresh on you anew and you just cannot do anything but stand and, and just proclaim out his glory and, and scream or lift your hands or just sing out with your, with your voice with everything you have, worshiping your king. Just be obedient to the way the Father's leading. If you need to talk, I'll be down here in the notorious empty front row. And I'd love to have a chance to pray for you. Let me pray. Lord, I, I thank you that you came to seek and save the lost. I thank you that you came with a mission and that you were obedient to it all the way to the cross, even death on a cross. You have been given a mission from your Father and you're obedient. We have been given a mission to carry out the same mission as you. And so, Lord, I pray for myself, God. There's just so many places where I know that you're calling me to a deeper walk. You're calling me to a deeper level of sacrifice. And if that's the case for my friends here, Lord, I pray that as we feel the Holy Spirit pushing in and, and know that there's places that we need to confess, there's places we need to um, be more obedient, that we also see the comfort of God. We also see the love of the Holy Spirit coming to us and, and helping us and reminding us that we've been given the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the gospel. And that we can walk in this because God himself lives in us. Struggling, as Colossians 1 says, with all of his energy. Not our own, with all of his energy. Thank you for that. Be with us now as we worship. Help us be obedient in the way that you're leading us to respond. I pray these things in Jesus' name.